Thank you so much, Neville. Really appreciate your help this evening. Uh, let us turn once again to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. We're going to think about this question that the wise men asked of Herod when they came to Jerusalem. Where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, as we consider your word, as we consider the gospel, as we find it in the story of the nativity of our Lord, we pray for your help and for your wisdom and for your enlightenment. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Mysterious visitors arrived in Jerusalem. Their clothing would have been very different from the dwellers in Jerusalem. And certainly their, their language was different too. They had an entirely different way of speaking. And they had a, a splendid entourage with them. I find it hard to believe that there were only three wise men. Three gifts doesn't mean three wise men. And if there were three individuals who led the party, men who perhaps were kings, men who were very important in their society, and there is every indication that that may have been the case, well, if they were so important, they would have had a whole entourage of servants with them. Three men would not have been traveling alone in those times across the, the difficult wilderness that brought them to Jerusalem. Where they came from has always been a bit of a mystery. And there are two places that are thought of as possibilities where these wise men hailed from. One of them is the area that we call Saudi Arabia today, the Arabian Peninsula. And there were a settlement of Jews living in that area. And while these men were Gentiles, they undoubtedly had been influenced by Jewish thought and culture and custom and religion, or they would have known nothing of the fact that a king was to be born. And so there was something that sparked this interest in this new king when they saw the star. Uh, the other place that it is thought a possibility is the part of the world that we call uh, Iraq today. And the reason for that is a number of Jews had been dispersed, and some of them had been in the old Babylonian Empire. And while the Babylonian Empire was no more, and the Persian Empire had taken place, and that too had fallen. Nevertheless, there were Jewish people in that area. And of course, we know that there was a strong tradition amongst the Chaldeans for watching the stars, for example. And we, we read about those kinds of people in the book of Daniel. So Daniel may, in effect, have left a legacy behind him. A tradition that caused people to be interested in the things that the Hebrew Bible had taught. We don't know for sure where they came from, but they came from far away, and it would have been a long journey, a difficult journey, a tiring journey that brought them across a desert. And whether it was the Arabian Peninsula, whether it was in the east and what we call Iran or Iraq today, it was a very long journey. And they came on a different mode of transport than the Jews would have been used with coming from where they came from. They, they did come with camels. That is highly likely. And so they came, and they were seen. 
And the people talked about them. Where did these men come from? What is their purpose? Why are they here? Have they come to trade? They come to do business with us. Why are they here? Uh, well, there was one reason why these men were in Jerusalem. And their question that was burning on their hearts, where is he? Where is he that is born, King of the Jews? And what an important question this is. And we're going to think about this question tonight. And we're going to look at it in a very simple way. It is the first question, but it's also the foremost question. It's the first question that you should be asking tonight. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, your question should be, where is He? How can I be saved? How can I find Christ? Where is He? And it's the foremost question, because all other questions, they pale into insignificance in the light of this question. And so let us consider this question that the wise men asked. Where is He? First of all, Let's consider this as the, the first question. It is the first question in terms of order in the New Testament. And that's a striking thing. We come to the start of the New Testament. And the first question we read of is this question. Where is he? And when you think about it, this is what the New Testament is all about. Showing us where Jesus is. Showing us who he is. Showing us how we can find him. How we can know him. How we can know that we have eternal life. Where is he? This is a question that the whole of the New Testament revolves around. And this question was asked by these men who are known as wise men. And they're coming looking for Jesus. And there is an important truth in that. Whatever wisdom they had, these men would have been educated. They would have had a lot of knowledge. They would have known different languages. But this was the most important question they'd ever asked. Where is he? We don't know for sure how they managed to follow a star or what kind of star this was that guided them to Israel. We, we have no idea how all that worked out because ultimately, you know, if you follow a star, it's not going to take you to a specific place. So there's something supernatural, something special about this star. And they had gained some understanding from the Old Testament to learn about the star, particularly from the prophecies of one called Balaam, who actually was not a man of God. In fact, he was a reprobate, but nevertheless, God put his words in Balaam's mouth. And that's a fascinating thing whenever you consider that. And so these men had come, and they were wise because they had learned to ask this question, this first question that we read of in the New Testament. And why is it such a wise thing? to seek for Jesus Christ. Well, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us why it is such a wise thing to search and to seek for Jesus Christ. Because at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read this, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And there we read about what the soul of man needs. What the heart of man needs. The heart of man needs righteousness. If you're not saved tonight, you need to be made righteous before a holy God. Just you allow that thought to weigh heavily upon your heart. One day you're going to stand before a holy God, a righteous God. And can you bear the thought of standing before that holy God in your sin? 
Can you bear that thought? But if you're going to be prepared to meet the holy God, you need righteousness. So this question is so wise because only Christ can give you righteousness. Christ gives you sanctification. Sanctification is about being made different. We're all sinners before God. We all need to be made different. We all need to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We all need to be born again. And being born again isn't about reforming your life. It's not even about becoming a religious person being born again. It's about having a change wrought in your heart. What a wonderful change. And my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. You can mark the time of your birth. Can you mark the time of your new birth? Do you know that you're born again of the Spirit of God? Do you have that assurance? Jesus Christ has made unto us sanctification. He makes us different. He changes us. And He has made unto us redemption. That really is the ultimate reason why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ didn't just come into the world that, that we might have a holiday. In fact, that's not why He came into the world at all, that we might have a holiday and have turkey and all the rest of it. He came into the world to die on a cross for our sins. That's why He came into the world. And we need it to be purchased to God. And we can only be purchased to God by the blood of that cross. And Jesus Christ has made unto us redemption. At the heart of the ministry of Christ, we have that blood that was shed. And we read the story of the nativity. It is a thrilling story. How this child came into the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the form of man. But he came to shed his life's blood for you and for me. That's why he came. But where is he? Oh, we find him on that cross. We find him on that cross. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary. And how our hearts should be broken as we see him hanging on that cross, shedding his blood for my sins, that I might be saved. But the apostle Paul said, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom. You see, to be righteous and to have this work of sanctification begun in your heart and to have redemption, that is to be truly wise. And these men discovered wisdom. Because they knew what they needed. They knew they needed to find this king. And so they asked the question, where is he? It was the best question they ever asked. They were men who had learned ever so much in their lives. And education is achieved through the art of asking questions. You'll never learn anything if you don't ask questions. If you don't humble yourself to ask a question, you'll never learn anything. We need to learn to ask questions that we might develop. It's true spiritually as well. As Christians, we should ask questions about God's Word. What does this mean? What does this text mean? What does that doctrine all about? We shouldn't just blindly accept everything we are taught. We should ask the questions in an open-hearted way that we might learn, that we might grow. But if you're here and if you're not saved, if you're listening tonight and you don't know the Lord, you need to ask the question. The question that regards your soul and where you're going to spend eternity, how you can be right with God, how your life can be fulfilled. Where is He? You need to know how you can find Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that is to be truly wise. You know you may have learned a lot in life, but you have learned nothing if you have not come to know Jesus Christ. A man or a woman might have many educational attainments. A man or a woman might have letters after their name, but if they have not discovered Jesus Christ, they have not discovered the true secret of life. And there are many fools, there are many educated fools, because they say there is no God, and they deny God completely. And there are other people who are educated fools, and they think they're religious, and they're not really because they have not found the one who is at the heart of true faith, and that is Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's so important tonight that you ask this question, that you're truly wise, and ask this question, this first question that we read of in the Scripture, where is he? 
But you know, what is particularly fascinating about this first question in Scripture is that this question follows on from the first question in the Bible. This question, in many ways, uh, it mirrors the first question in the Bible. And we read the first question in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and the verse 9, and it was a question that put fear into the heart of Adam and Eve. But it was a gracious question. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where art thou? The first question in the Bible was asked by God. The first question in the New Testament was asked by these wise men. God said to Adam, Where are you? Where art thou? As Adam foolishly tried to hide himself from God. What a stupid man he was. Thinking he could hide himself from God. God knew where he was. God still asked the question, where art thou? Because God wanted him to reveal himself. And then we come to the start of the New Testament. And it is man who is asking the question, where is he? You know, whenever we look at the first question in the Bible, we see a gracious God, a kind God. A heartbroken God, yes, a grieving God, because God had made Adam and Eve as these perfect, perfect people. He had given them so many privileges. And they had done the very thing he told them not to do. And they had partaken of the forbidden fruit. And as soon as they took the forbidden fruit, they realized they were sinners. And they realized then that they could not stand before God. And that's really why they hid themselves. As the Lord came down in the cool of the day to fellowship with them, they hid themselves. They couldn't bear to stand before God. And God could have come with his lightning flames of justice. He could have come to consume them in a moment of time. He could have come to destroy this creation that he had made in all of its beauty and created another creation and created another man and woman. But he didn't do that. He came in pity and he said, where art thou? They needed him. They needed him now more than ever. They needed him before. And what they needed from God was his forgiveness. That's what you need from God tonight. You need his forgiveness. You need to know that you are forgiven by God. But God comes to you and he says, where art thou? Perhaps you've been trying to hide from God. You've been trying to hide from God in the midst of all your excuses. Why you're not a Christian. Why you haven't come to the Lord. Why you haven't trusted him. You're hiding in the midst of all your excuses. All those reasonings. All those false logics. Putting it off to another time. So you've blamed others perhaps. So you carry on hiding. But God says, where art thou? He's calling you to come. He's calling you to come and reveal yourself to him. He's calling you to open your heart out to him. Where art thou? That was a gracious question. But ultimately, when God spoke to these people, to Adam and Eve, our very first parents, he came with a message. It was the message of a Savior. And that's why these two questions are linked together, and that's why they are tied together. Because when Adam heard the voice of God saying, Where art thou? The voice of God was going to say in Genesis 3.15, And I, God said, will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And while God was addressing Satan, the old serpent there, and he was telling the serpent, You're going to be defeated. And one born of a woman is going to put his heel, is going to put his foot in your head, and he will be bruised, yes, but you'll be crushed. He'll have the victory over you. And he'll do so on behalf of mankind. One that is born of a woman will come to be the conquering saviour. 
And that's why in the traditional readings of Christmas, uh, for a Christmas carol service, this, this verse quite properly comes, comes first, Genesis 3, 15, because this was the first promise of a Savior. And it accompanies the first question in the Bible, where art thou? And because God had promised a Savior back there in the Garden of Eden, these wise men were able to come from the east and say, where is he? He has come. He has come as God said he would come. And we're seeking for him now. You see, we can only seek God because God first of all seeks us. If God had not come seeking us, we would not be able to seek him. The first act in salvation is not the act of man. It's the act of God. And God who comes and asks the questions. God who comes and sends his son. And God who comes out of love. And we seek the seeking God because first of all he finds us. Well tonight, the real lesson from this first question is, why have you not sought God? Because he has come seeking you. And he has come loving you. And he has come accomplishing salvation for you. And although God knows where you are and who you are, and there's nothing about you God does not know, yet at the same time, God wants you to come. And he wants you to seek him. And you're commanded in the scripture to seek the Lord. Jeremiah talked about seeking the Lord and finding him if you seek for him with your whole heart. You see, this salvation is not kind of some simple one-off decision you make. Some people are trusting in a decision they were never saved to begin with. It's putting your whole heart into this matter. It's the cry of Peter. And I often think Peter is the great example because whenever he was sinking in the sea, he said, Lord, save me. It was more than a simple decision. He knew he was drowning. He knew unless the Lord reached down his hand and gripped him, he'd be lost. And that's what it is to seek the Lord. To feel the weight of your sin and to know that you're sinking in that sin and you know you're sinking down through life to a sinner's hell. Where is he? For I need him to be my saviour. That's the full import of this question. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? It's the first question, but it's also the foremost question. A question may come first, but may not be the most important question. Not very often is the way whenever we try to learn. We ask one question after another, and it's only as one question builds upon the other that we come to the right question. But this first question is also the foremost question. It's the most important question. It's the one question that must be asked. Where is he? It's the foremost question in eternity. And there are many important questions that we read of in the Bible. Many vital questions. There is the question that Pilate asked, and that was an important question. Whenever Jesus was before him as the prisoner, his responsibility was to condemn Jesus or to release Jesus. 
And he asked the question, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And that, that's an important question. It's a question you need to address to yourself. What will you do with Jesus Christ tonight? What will you do with him? Will you be like Pilate and send them away to be crucified, or will you accept them as your Savior? What will you do? Will you do as the people cried and said, away with him, crucify him? What will you do? That's an important question. But somehow it's not just as important as this question, where is he? Because you need to know where he is and how you can find him before you can turn away from him. Pilate had Jesus in front of him. And so this really was a most preparatory question. Where is he? You need to ask this question first. It's, the, it's a foremost question. Think of the, the, the jailer. And that was an important question. It's a question that we have here. What must I do to be saved? What an important question that is. What must I do to be saved? That's a question you need to ask because you're not saved. And there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. And what side of that divide are you? As you answer honestly in your heart before God tonight, are you saved or are you not saved? Think of that question. And if you're not saved, what must I do to be saved? But then, does this question not come even before that? In terms of priority, where is he that is born? Where is he? Because if you're going to be saved, it's not what you do. It's about believing in Jesus Christ, but how can you find Christ? How can you discover Christ? How can you know you're saved by Christ? Where is he? You see how important this question is. Think of the great question the Apostle Paul asked. A question that nobody here can answer. A question that the wisest man in the world, Solomon, could not have answered. A question that no angel can answer, a question the devil can't answer, and a question that even God can't answer. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You see, if you neglect this salvation that is presented to you, if you neglect this Christ to come into the world to die for you, how can you escape? Is there any escape from hell if you neglect God's salvation? There is no escape. There's nothing can save you. There's no one can save you. If you turn away from Christ... That's a solemn thought. In the course of this meeting, your whole eternity is hanging by a thread. And the only thing that's keeping you from hell is life. And the only thing that'll get you into heaven is by trusting Christ. And you never had a better opportunity to trust Christ than you have tonight. And there is no escape if you don't trust Christ. Oh, what an important question that is. But if you're going to be saved, if you're going to have this great salvation, you must come to Christ. But where can you find Christ? How can you know Christ? Where is He? Oh, you see how vital this question is. We cannot be saved unless we find Jesus. That's the key this evening. But these wise men, while they asked the question, and they asked an important question. They asked the question of the wrong person in the wrong place. And this was where they went astray in all of their seekings. They were right to seek, but they were wrong to come to Jerusalem. Because the star didn't lead them to Jerusalem. The star led them across the miles, and so they came across the miles. 
But then they came to Judea, and then they started to apply their own thinking, their own reasoning, their own intellect. And they thought, well, he's got to be in the capital city. He has to be there. So they lost sight of the star. And if he's in the capital city, he's got to be where the king is. This King Herod, he's, he must have had his own. And of course, none of that was true. They applied their own faulty logic to the question of eternity. And that's where they went astray. And so they, they lost out for a while, asking the wrong question, the wrong place of the wrong people, seeking the answers from the wrong people. And they were going up a blind alley, asking the right question, but their judgment was clouded. They weren't thinking straight. And there are many people doing that tonight. And yes, they know they need peace, and they know they need peace with God, and they know they need hope, and they need hope for eternity, and they're very aware of all of that. But they're seeking the answer in the wrong place. And they're getting things wrong. And it's messing up their thinking. And it's leading them to a sinner's hell, even though they're asking questions in relation to spiritual things. On the streets of the city of Birmingham, at this time, the Muslims are out at the Christmas markets. And they've got tables, and they are saying that we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And they're presenting literature, and they're guiding men and women towards their thinking and their way of doing things. We're not against Christmas. We're not against Christianity because Muslims love Jesus too. And of course, you'll never find Jesus in Islam. Nobody will. No matter how hard that question is asked regarding peace with God, there, there's no peace in that religion. And Islam teaches that Jesus, he, he didn't die on the cross. He, he Fainted, he was badly injured, badly wounded, but, but, but he revived again and went and carried on a prophetic ministry somewhere else. And while they do believe that he was a prophet, they believe that Muhammad was the greatest of the prophets, and therefore the ministry of Christ ultimately was eclipsed by Muhammad. And of course, that's blasphemy because there is no one greater than Jesus Christ. And so the Muslims cannot find peace. But it's not just the streets of Birmingham or some other city with a large Muslim population that you find this kind of thing. I was walking down Oma Main Street just this week, and I was in a bit of a rush for somewhere to go, and these two young men came towards me, and as soon as I heard American accents, an idea who, who they were, and they, they started to come up towards me with literature, and I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I was in a bit of a rush, and I really didn't have time to talk. And I, I saw their, their names, and I saw their badges, and it was the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And, of course, we generally call them Mormons. And my, my, I just said to them quickly, you're Mormons and you're a false cult. And away I walked down the street, and then I heard this voice shouting after me, all we want to do is talk to you about Jesus. And I looked at my watch and thought, well, five minutes, I'll go back. And so I went back. And I started to talk to them about their religion very, very quickly. And 
I shared my faith, my testimony, how I'd come to Jesus Christ as a child and how I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And they said, we have all that. We enjoy all of that. I said, but you follow the teachings of Joseph Smith. Oh, no, 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 no. I said, Joseph Smith was a man. You say he, he, he wrote the Book of Mormon. You, you say that he had visions from angels. And yet he, he, he was a polygamist. He lived a, a, a very sinful life. And he, he actually died trying to escape from prison. And, oh, no, no, he, he was only a man. We follow Jesus Christ. We love Jesus Christ. And you can instantly see how they were trying to show that they could celebrate Christmas too with their religion and with their faith. And as they talked then, I knew my time was running out, so I, I asked them one other question. I said to them, but you baptize dead people. In Mormon temples, you'll go in and you'll find out the names of all of your dead relatives come back generation after generation after generation, and you'll baptize them. Yes, if we have the opportunity to do that, we can do that. And then I said, as Adolf Hitler baptized into the Mormon church. Most probably he is. At that stage, I just walked away. I just walked away. I felt the darkness of it all. To think like a man like Hitler, a man that had done so many evils in all of his life, because someone had named his name in a Mormon baptismal tank that that man's soul can somehow be saved. It's an absolutely horrendous thought. And yet those same people are going around saying, we believe in Jesus Christ. Blind, deluded souls. And it's all around us. All a false religion does this. It asks this question in the wrong place of the wrong people. And people are going astray. And yet there's two young men have sacrificed a considerable part of their life. They have come from the state of Utah, most probably in the United States. And they have come here as others have come because they believe they're doing good. And that's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us as Christians. What are we doing to win souls? What are we doing to reach the lost? What are we doing to talk to men and women of the gospel? What are we doing to share the truth of this book? which stands up to scrutiny. Others are doing ever so much to spread their falsehood. And what are we doing for Jesus? Now we need to take that seriously. Some people are seeking him in their religion. They think that by sitting in a church pew and living a half-decent life, that, that somehow gets them right with God. And it never will and never shall. And if you're trusting that tonight to get you through the pearly gates, it'll not get you in if you haven't, first of all, found Jesus Christ is your one and only Savior. But where do you find them? These wise men, they had to be redirected. And they were redirected through the Scriptures because it was pointed out to them that the prophet Micah had said that Bethlehem would be the place where the new king would be born. And so they went and they saw the star. They found him through the Scriptures. That's how they came to Bethlehem. They found the light of the Scripture. And that's how you can find Jesus Christ tonight. Where is he? You find him in this book. The Bible takes us from all of the prophecies in the Old Testament to the Christ who was born of Mary. And the Bible takes us from the manger to the cross where he died as a substitute for our sins and where he was nailed in that tree for you and me. The Bible takes us from the cross to the resurrection because he's no longer on that cross. Hallelujah. 
He's the risen Savior. He lives forever. And the Bible takes us from the resurrection to the ascension. And there he is at the right hand of God, praying for us. And we are told that he saves to the very uttermost all that come unto God through him. And the Bible takes us beyond the resurrection to the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the most prolific persecutor, destroyer of Christians, one who had Christians killed and imprisoned, did all kinds of terrible things to them, one who was determined that his life's work would be to exterminate Christianity. And yet on the road to Damascus, Christ met with him. He was humbled, and he asked the question, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Where is he? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And suddenly his life was turned around, and he found Jesus. He didn't find Jesus in a church. He found him on an old dusty road. As he was intent on destroying God's people, Jesus met with him. And tonight, this may be your Damascus road. I pray that it will be. Jesus will meet with you. And you will find him as your Savior and as your Redeemer. You have that moment in your life when you come to Christ. You must be born again. I would appeal to you Come to the Lord tonight. Discover new life in Him. And have this question answered in your soul. Where is He? Oh, He is your Savior. He's here now. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. He's presented in this book. One day you'll stand before Him. I pray you'll stand before Him as a child of the King. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Christ of God. We thank you for how he has presented to us. And we pray that there would be those that would seek the Lord tonight, find life in him. For Christ's sake, amen. Let's turn to this closing hymn. Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came, born in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful. Blessed be his name, seeking for me, for me. Let's stand together.
Gracious Father, take us from this place with your blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the eternal spirit be our abiding portion now and evermore. Amen.